That is in Canada with God that is about to start right there. We're about to get into our Bible study, 20 million movement, 20 million people all studying the same passage of the Bible at the same time. And you can be a part of it right here on Faith FM. Before we do, we have the 400-point question for our quiz, followed by text messages. You guys have been a bit quiet this morning, needing your help. Uh, and we're going to finish Ernst's story before we get into our study mm. because it was just so interesting. So, uh, Lawson... Uh, jump on in there with our next quiz question. All right, for 400 points, what physical condition of Elisha was once mocked by young people? If you, if you know how they mocked Elisha, what they what they called him, 0491 is the number to call for 400 points. You can win a book from our selection of bargain books, or you can get those points on the board and continue to work your way through the quiz. But again, that question was... What physical condition of Elisha was once mocked by young people? 0491-064-669. Okay, so coming through on the text message, this one actually came through after the show, I think, on Friday. So anyway, here's what it is. It's a little bit late, but Chris says, uh, the Baltic to the Black Sea, which would be the consequence of Ukraine joining NATO, was the provocation that initiated Russia's response. That is definitely a part of the equation, no question mm. about that, and a very significant part. I think there's a lot that goes into uh, why that has actually happened in the Ukraine, um, but that's definitely one of the big ones right there. Um, anyway, that's the only text message I got to read this morning, one from Friday. What's mm. up, guys? Wake up. Wake yes. up. Yes. <laughs> okay, but Bible study is about to begin, so we would love to hear what your thoughts are. We're about to get into Hebrews 9. Mm. We're going to get back, back to go just off the end with deepness. <laughs> okay, so uh, before we do that, uh, we're going to finish. Um, we're going to finish with Ernst's story. You got it to the point where you're going to like what church three times a weekend. Yeah, pretty much with your band and yep. playing music. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned Marsha, your wife, your wife Marsha. She's a musician. Yes, yes. And uh, she was a part of one of your bands or the band that you were. Yes, the, the one, the one in the Adventist Church at Blacktown. Yeah, okay. she had just been starting a band. A group of her friends had gotten together, and they would rehearse every Friday night. And this uh, mutual friend of ours would invite me to come along and play bass guitar with that group. Okay, so you play bass. What does your wife play? Uh, she is a singer and she plays piano as well. Okay, mm. fantastic stuff. Yeah, Marsha's got an interesting story as well. She's got her own uh, story coming out of the Pentecostal church as well too. Oh, so you both guys were Pentecostal. But, but different churches. Yeah, not, we didn't meet at the church, but yeah. Mm. yeah. Met at the Evans church. Mm. Okay, so um, your reasoning from moving from one church to another, you know, typically these days people will move churches because, you know, they're looking for a church that has the culture that they're looking for, mm. but yours seem to be more Bible-based from what you were saying? Absolutely. Um, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, I, uh, I started attending this AOG church and there were certain things that were taking place around me that I wasn't reading about in the Scripture, mm-hmm. uh, in particular things like um, speaking in tongues and uh, the worship. I mean, I just it was coming out of that heavy metal scene, playing in pubs and so forth, and some of the stuff I was seeing on, on stage was kind of very similar to that as well. And so, um, yeah, now a number of other factors as well too. And so I was beginning to question. I was still going along to the Wednesday night Bible studies, and um, yeah, but I was all, at this time I was also beginning to study the Bible with mm. uh, a layperson in the Adventist church as well too. So 
I had a lot of studies going on at that time. And You're and learning a lot about the Bible. I was. It was just this mass amount of information coming in. But I think the thing that decided for me, you know, John seventeen seventeen says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is mm. truth. Mm-hmm. And as I weighed it up, I obviously had to make a decision. Am I going to stick with the Adventists or am I going to stick with the Pentecostal church? In the end, it became clear that I need to follow truth and, yeah. I, I became a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. How did your parents respond to, you know, coming from a fairly secular background to both of their sons becoming Christians? Yeah, good question. They, they, they were proud, you know. Um, they, you know, they've been very supportive of all our decisions in life and so forth. Mum, I remember the only concern mum had was like, oh, don't give them any money. That was her concern. <laughs> <laughs> but when I discovered the principles of stewardship and, and returning a faithful tithe, you know, that, that was something I did. But, mm. uh, yeah, that, that was her only concern. But everything else she was really proud. And even up to this day as a minister now, she's very, very proud of, the, of that fact, yeah. Yeah, you can't, really, you can't really complain if you're a parent if you're, you know, if you've got kids that Decide to become good, moral, sane, sober human beings, mm. and uh, whatever path that takes, you know, you've got to be proud of it. And of course, you know, from our perspective, the very best way to become a good, sane, sober, moral citizen mm. uh, is through Jesus Christ. That's Absolutely. what that's what God does for you. Absolutely. That's how God changes your life. Okay, so real quick, um, you ended up in ministry. Was this sort of something that... Yes, um, it was a growing conviction. I I was baptised on the 5th of February in 1994, and uh, I would be working with the young people. I was doing music. I'd do the occasional sermon. And uh, just this growing conviction that that the Lord was calling me to enter into pastoral ministry. And uh, so I went to Avondale College, and uh, it's interesting. I was there for three weeks. I had to learn. Casey, you did really well. You like like I did four year degree in three weeks. Yeah, yeah. I wish, but uh, no. I uh, I think fear and the fact that I had to learn a foreign language that put the you know fear of God into me. And I said, you know, this is not for me. And I I I had left my work. I left my home church. I you know I was on campus, and it reached the point. No, this is not for me. And I and I left, and I went back home. I did pick up a bit of Greek studies with my, my pastor in Sydney, and I did pick up a subject. I used to do these external courses from Avondale College, and I did one of those. I got a D, thinking that a D was like A is good, D is like really horrible. It's like, yeah, clearly this is not for me. But this growing <laughs> conviction... This growing by, the, conviction by the way, he means he got a distinction, distinction yeah. which is like a great mark. It took a couple of years later to work that out, but... <laughs> But the year That's later, so funny. the year later, I went back. I did a full year. I think it was 1997, and I actually did really well because the Greek helped me. It got me ahead. I uh, was enjoying my subjects. In fact, I was getting a lot of D's and HD. So, wow. and I got to the end of that, and then I knew that something was looming on the horizon. It kind of put the fear of God back into me again, and it was this uh, homiletics, the art of preaching. And I was, again, coming. I'm still a very shy individual. The thought of having to get up and learn how to preach it, I mean, yeah. So I left again. So I did that full year, and then I left because I didn't want to do homiletics, and I worked across the road at the sanitarium there at Kurumbong uh, for three years. But, this again, this growing conviction that I need to get back, that God is calling me to do this work. And so ultimately, um, in the year 2000, I went back and ultimately finished the course. Mm. Wow, yeah. praise God. Yeah. And you've ministered all over Australia. Yes, when I graduated in 2004, 2005, I went to Townsville. I was there for five years. Townsville, then Cairns, I was there for five years. I went to Brisbane for five years. Just recently I've come from South Australia. 
I was here for two years. Yeah. And here across Newcastle. Okay, so somebody's texting through. Uh, we do have an audience. That's fantastic. Glad to hear you're all there. Um, all right. Uh, all right. So this is an interesting story. My father was a New Zealander. My mother an Australian. They met in New Guinea. Oh. My mum was nursing there. And my father went there to visit his brother, who was a pilot. Wow. Look at that. So there's a similar story. Janelle has a rather similar story to yours. Man, New uh, Guinea cool. where love meets. Maybe I Lawson. need to hop on a plane. <laughs> Lawson. Lawson. Well, I almost had an opportunity two years ago to go back because um, uh, evangelism is something I'm very passionate about um, since I've grown through ministerial years. And mm-hmm. I had the opportunity just recently, well, two years ago for a number of ministers to go back and, and preach there. And I got to speak to someone that enabled me to go back to Goroka oh, to, to wow. run a series of wow. programs. Where and you were uh, born. And then, of course, COVID kicked in, and then, yeah, that shut all that down. I Hopefully sometime it. in the future we can get back there, yeah. Mm. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Mm. Oh, that's amazing. Um, Ernst, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. It is always amazing to hear, you know, um, what God is doing in people's lives. You've now got uh, two churches here in the local area. So anybody who's within an hour or two hours drive of the Newcastle area, Warners Bay yep. and, and the University Church. University Church. Yep. Um, Adventist Students on Campus Church, whatever. Yeah, it is. well, ASOC's our student club, Newcastle University Adventist Church is our church. So just, yeah. just, just, just give us a call here on zero four nine one zero six four six six nine, and Lawson can tell you all about those two churches and how you can meet Ernst and mm. Marsha. Maybe you hear some of their music. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, hear some of their music. Um, and that will be just an amazing blessing for you. And if you want the full story with the pictures, that is at Lawson's Church this Saturday yeah, morning. Yeah, see you Saturday, guys. Mm. There you yeah. go, zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. I'll give you the details. Fantastic. Anyways. All right. Um, we're about, we, we need to get into our Bible study. Mm-hmm. Our Bible study this week is Hebrews chapter 9. So we're going to be diving deep into one of the deepest chapters of the Bible, uh, one of the deepest chapters of Hebrews. It's going to be fun. It's going to be all about the sanctuary and the temple and the tabernacle. So hold on while we jump right in. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. All right, so Hebrews chapter 9, and we're going to look here in... Uh, we're going to start in verse 1. Epic. All right, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 1, the Bible says... That first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. There were two rooms in that tabernacle. In the first room were a lampstand, a table, and the sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain. Behind the curtain uh, was the second room called the most holy place. In that room were a, a, a gold incense altar, a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the Ark were, were a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Okay, so we've got a couple of verses here to think about. And the first thing that I want you to notice here is that Paul makes an epic mistake. Like, like, like the most... Basic, fundamental mistake that you would ever come across. Uh-huh. So yeah. here's a guy who is a Jewish lawyer. Uh-huh. You don't get to be a Jewish lawyer without knowing... Uh, the stuff know, inside the sanctuary. The, 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 the thing called the law, mm-hmm. which is you know your first five books of Moses, the, the, the um, what do you call it? First five the, books Torah. Of Moses. the Torah. The Torah. Yep. Yeah, you don't get to uh, be a lawyer without knowing the Torah off by heart. Uh-huh. 
And so he's writing the book of Hebrews and he messes it up. Mm. Did you all notice that? Lawson, can you see where he messed up? Um, Ernst sees it because uh, he's a theologian. Are you talking about like where he says like the words of the covenant? But no, 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 because the Bible no. calls the yeah. Ten Commandments coming. Yeah. Um, no, not that bit, not that bit. It's actually in uh, verse 3 and 4. See, see if you can find the mistake in verse 3 and 4. And it's a, it's a big one. It's a doozy. Okay, so what's this? All right, before we read verse 3 and 4 again, let me ask you a question. We've got Lawson puzzled here this morning. This is good fun. I love it when we can puzzle Lawson. Hopefully we have puzzled you guys as well. And if you are not on the road right now, dig out your Bibles and follow along because there is there's a major lesson right here. Okay, there's so Lawson. item of furniture, isn't it? Lawson, what was I know that? what it is. I don't know okay, it is. all right. You know what it is. Yeah. Right. Uh, so in verse 4, it says, In that room, uh, in the most holy place, the most holy place. Uh, were a golden incense altar. Okay, was there an in- a golden incense altar in the most holy place? No. Where was the golden incense? In the holy incense? place. It was in the holy mm. place. Yeah. So why does the Bible say it's in the most holy place? Uh, why does Paul, who knows the Torah off by heart, say it's in the most holy place? There, there has to be. I know you're trying to bait me right now. <laughs> I'm so baiting you. <laughs> <laughs> but I, like, obviously there's some, there's some spiritual application for this because we know Absolutely. that it literally wasn't there. That's right. Yeah. So Paul's making a point. Yes. And he's writing this... To Jewish people. He's writing it to Hebrews. He's Mm. not writing it to, you know, your your, your Hellenistic Jews or anything like that, that that might be a little bit less, you know, cognizant of everything there is in the sanctuary, although it would be very surprising even if a Hellenistic Jew would make a a mistake as fundamental as this. He's writing this to the Jewish Jewish people, the Hebrew people Mm. themselves. Mm. And uh, they know this, and this is going to just... You know, th- these are words that are just going to punch them in the face as soon as they read it, like, whack! Mm. The altar of incense in the most holy place. Wait a minute. What's going on here? Okay, so let's think about, then, the pieces of furniture that you find in the holy place. Mm-hmm. You have the seven-branch candlestick, mm-hmm. you have the table of showbread, and you have the altar of incense. Now, we could spend... Well, a whole Bible study on each one of those pieces of furniture, pointing out how that they symbolise Jesus. Uh, but let's start with the seven-branch candlestick. So you've got one candlestick, mm-hmm. seven branches, filled with oil, creating light, made out of solid gold. What what does the seven-branch candlestick symbolise? What does the oil symbolize? Let's start with that. Yeah, Mm. the oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit. The oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit. And if you go to uh, Isaiah chapter 11, you'll find that there are seven different aspects of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. The Bible lists seven different aspects. You have one Holy Spirit, one candlestick, seven branches, seven different aspects of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So we've got a symbol here of the Holy Spirit. And the seven branch candlestick, what is it producing? It's producing light. Light. It's producing light. Mm hmm. Okay, so this is a symbol of what Jesus wants to do through us. Jesus wants to fill us yeah. with every different aspect of the Holy Spirit and produce light through us. Yeah, mm. I've heard the connection as well, like, you know, when we open up the book of Revelation and we start with the seven churches and Jesus is explaining the seven churches whilst he's standing beside 
the seven branch candlestick. Yes. And there's that mm. clear correlation there of like, oh, how is this light, you know, where is this light produced from? And it's like, it's, you know, God working through his church to produce light throughout the world and, you know, give everyone a revelation of himself. So it's like he says to the church in Ephesus, unless you repent, I'll take your candlestick away. Mm. Mm. You know, if you're not producing light, mm. that's the, the church. The church produces light. Mm-hmm. People in the church, people are what the church is and so they produce light. Okay, so there's our, there's our seven branch candlestick. Now let's go to the table of showbread. Oh. Where you have bread. Uh-huh. What's the table of showbread? What is bread a symbol of in the word of in, in, in the Bible? It's a, it's a classic, right? Yes. The, the bread is a symbol of the word of God. Absolutely. Mm. So that's the symbol. So you've got the Bible and you've got the Holy Spirit. Mm. All right. So when you read the Bible, uh-huh. the Bible says you're a sinner. You need Jesus. Uh-huh. You come under conviction. Yeah. You give your life to Jesus. You ask forgiveness of your sins and you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you sp- start to spread light around the world. Mm-hmm. Okay, so those are those two pieces of furniture. Let's leave the altar of incense for a moment. Mm-hmm. Let's go into the most holy place. What do you have in the most holy place? The Ark. The Ark of the Covenant. And the purpose of the Ark of the Covenant was to contain what? The law the, of God. Yeah, The right. law of God. Okay, uh-huh. so its purpose is to contain the law of God. Now, if you look at... The uh, at the holy place as a place where you know you're going to read the word of God. The, the word of God is going to convict you. You're a sinner in need of a salvation, and so you're going to ask forgiveness for your sins, and you're going to shine out. This is this is a a, a picture of the Christian experience uh, that that we often describe as being sanctification, being made holy, sanctified. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and if you look at the symbolism right there, you know, you've got your table of showbread. It's made out of wood, overlaid with gold. Wood, a symbol of humanity. Gold, a symbol of God's purity. You go to the, the seven-branch candlestick, there's no wood. Mm. Why? Because God is now shining. It's not you that is shining out to the world. It is mm. God that is shining out to the world. It's not mixed with humanity because it is the Holy Spirit working through you. Mm. But then when we go to the most holy place, what happened in the most holy place? Like in your you know Day of Atonement service? Yeah. You about? Well, yeah. you know, when they cleanse the sanctuary, it was the only time they were allowed into the most okay, holy so they place. They only got used once a year, didn't it? That's mm. right. So the, the, the most holy place only gets used once a year. Uh-huh. And it's called the Day of Atonement, the cleansing yes. of the sanctuary. Uh-huh. Mm. All right. So what, what is the cleansing of the, the cleansing of the sanctuary? I mean, that's spoken about in prophecy, like Daniel 8, 14, et cetera. There's a time prophecy there mm-hmm. in relationship to the cleansing of the sanctuary. Long story for another Bible study but a time prophecy that ended in 1844. But if the holy place is symbolizing, you know, sanctification and so forth, what, what's taking place in the most holy place? What's the what's the primary thing that we see happening there in the most holy place? Well, we have that symbol with the Day of Atonement, which ultimately represents the complete blotting out of sin. Yes. Mm. Right? So the, the blood is taken in there, you know, in, in the symbol itself, the in the, in the literal sanctuary, the blood yes. is taken in there, and that represents like, oh, you know, God has, has done oh, everything. Forgotten your sins. He's forgotten your sins, and then that's when they would literally take the sanctuary apart to clean it all up. You know. Okay, so if we look at the three parts of the sanctuary, courtyard, holy place, most holy place, mm-hmm. in the courtyard you have the altar of sacrifice. That's where Jesus dies on the cross. Yes. Mm. That's justification. Uh-huh. Justification, just as if I'd never done it. Mm. Justification. You go to the holy place, you've got sanctification. sanctification. Mm. Sanctified, turned into a saint, yep. made holy. You're, mm-hmm. a, you're a light to the world. You come to the most holy place, you've got the blotting out of sins, mm. and so you've got 
glorification. Mm. Uh-huh. Mm. So justification, sanctification, glorification. That shows what's happening in our lives. How does the blotting out of sin take place? What event is it that brings about the blotting out of sins? Well, you know, the, the uh, alternate title for the Day of Atonement was the Day of Judgment. Day of Judgment. Yom Kippur. And it was, judgment. And so ultimately, it's through judgment, yes. setting things right, uh, and through God's power working to blot out sin, that yes. then there is no more sin because everything's been judged, everything's been put back in its right place, sin doesn't need to exist anymore, and it's done away with. Okay. So according hmm. to Daniel chapter 8, you've got a time prophecy there, you've got another time prophecy in Daniel chapter 12 that repeats the same prophecy and points to the same time period. Um, we have some things to understand about the beginning of the judgment. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, Bruce's text is true to say that the seven-branch candlestick also symbolizes the 7,000 years of Earth's history that the Spirit of God moves on His people from beginning through millennium. It's an interesting thought. Okay. Mm. I'd have to look into it in more depth. I have not considered <laughs> that before. Mm. But, interesting. you know, God's light shining on the world for 7,000 years. Mm-hmm. I've no, I have no reason to debate that. To, to disagree necessarily. Yeah, well, sounds <laughs> sounds good. Fair enough. If if you've got a reason to disagree, then let me know. Or if you've got a reason to agree, then also let me know. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. I think it's a good thought. Um, we right. need to do a five hundred point question, guys. Yes. Oh, and this is by the way, I'll just a big one. I'll just I'll just give you the prize real quick. Uh, you can win today a Revive Cafe cookbook. The fourth edition specifically, which is like, guys, like this is this is like one of the so most amazing. Revive. No, well, they have like editions that come out. No, no, not editions, volumes. Oh, volumes. So this okay. is the fourth volume. Volume. Where it's like they have just, volumes of food. This is like <laughs> the best tasting, healthiest, most amazing. I own two of these books um, that I use regularly. It's incredible. Uh, this is like one of the best cookbooks you can get. So, how many volumes are there now? I think there's. Up to seven? Or seven, not eight, something like that. Mm. But for 500 points, who did Solomon petition for supplies and workers for the temple's construction? 0491 So Solomon's got out there, he's doing some diplomacy, working with the nations around him, and he's like, hey, give us stuff. We're going to build some temples, and you're going to pay for it. Who does he petition? 0491-064-669 is the number to call. And again, you can win our prize this morning, the Revive Cafe Cookbook. Bye. It's written by Jeremy Dixon. Fantastic stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get back to our Bible study. We've got to solve this problem as to wow, what, what on earth was Paul thinking when he wrote Hebrews chapter 9 and put the altar of incense <laughs> in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this, this is what we've come up with so far. We've done a broad overview of the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. We've found your courtyard where you've got justification, your holy place where you've got sanctification, your most holy place where you've got glorification. Mm-hmm. But we're looking at more deeply at the most holy place to say, okay, why is Paul putting the altar of incense in the most holy place? Why does he make that statement right here? And we found that it is in the most holy place that judgment begins. Mm. Okay, so if we look at the one day of a year of the year that the holy place is used, it's called the Day of Atonement, the cleansing of the sanctuary, Yom Kippur, Day of Judgment. Um, those are your four main titles that you're going to find it listed under. You'll find it, it detailed in Leviticus chapter 16, and you find that. Well, let's cut a long story short. Throughout the year, throughout the sacrificial system. If you were a sinner, you brought a lamb, uh, and this is one of the methods, but we'll, we'll use this one because it's a, the best illustration. You bring a lamb, confess your sins over the head of the lamb, the sin is transferred from you to the lamb. 
Mm-hmm. You then take the life of that lamb, you cut its throat and collect its blood in a bowl. Uh, the priest then takes that blood into the holy place and sprinkles it on the horns of the altar and on the curtain in front of the altar and on the floor in front of the altar. Mm-hmm. And so your sin is transferred from you to the lamb to the blood to the holy place. Once a year, all the sin that is in the holy place is wiped out mm-hmm. with the cleansing of the sanctuary. And so if all of your sins are in the holy place, uh, once a year there is no record that you have ever done any sin. That's the work of judgment. So the work of judgment really is just about dividing between those who have confessed their sins and those who haven't. Because if you haven't confessed your sins, your sins are not in the holy place. They're not wiped out. They're still with you. They remain. So either you can have your sins wiped out or they remain. And it's really that simple. That's the work of judgment. Those who have confessed their sins, those who haven't. Now, the question is, though, what happens if you sin on the Day of Atonement? What happens if you sin while judgment is taking place? Well, I think in the literal sense, like if you sin on the Day of Atonement, well, then that's like, I guess... The Day of Atonement's happening. You can't go and bring a lamb, right? Yeah. So I guess, Hmm. are you just like, are you just done? Is it just over for you? Well, if that was the case, then... uh, which which is a valid thought. If that was the case, then the moment the judgment began, probation would be closed. Yeah, and we would all be in trouble because judgment began in eighteen forty four. That's the prof time process. Yeah. So judgment's been going for a fair while, right? Uh-huh. Mm. So I, I guess so we'd be would... in all kinds of strife if there was no sacrifice for That's sins right. committed on the on that particular day. There would need to be another specific sacrifice for those people, right? Yes, mm. there would be, need to be a sin offering as well as the Day of Atonement offering, wouldn't there? Yeah. Yeah. On the Day of Atonement. Yes. So you'd have to not just have a Day of Atonement offering, you'd also have to have a sin offering that day. Mm. Okay, now here's the interesting thing. Because when you look at the altar of incense, the altar of incense is all about intercession. Mm. Intercession for sins. Yeah. So if you go to Revelation uh, chapter 8, and Lawson, if you can read... Uh, Ernst, must be your turn. Yep. Uh, chapter 8, verse 3 and 4. 3 and 4. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, with the prayers of the saints, ascended before God from the angel's hand. Okay, so we've got... The altar of incense mm. is a symbol of intercession. Now think about this. When you, you're taking blood into the holy place every day, uh, you're sprinkling it on the, on the horns of the altar, on the floor, on the curtain, etc. Uh, that's going to build up, isn't it? Mm. And what's it going to be like in there? Oh, that, smelling and gross. Mm, except disgusting. that there is an altar of incense, which completely mm. neutralizes the stench. So that stench is a symbol of the stench of sin. The incense, which burned, by the way, with a white smoke, white is a symbol of? Righteousness. Who's righteous? Christ. Christ. The, the sweet smell of Christ's righteousness covering the stench of our sins. Mm. And so this is intercession. And so when you look at the, look at the furniture in the, in, in, in the holy place, you've got the table of showbread, the word of God. We read the word of God. It says you're a sinner in need of a savior. So what do we do? We ask for forgiveness. How do we do that? By praying and Jesus intercedes for us and his righteousness covers our sins. Mm. 
Then we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we shine out to the world. The seven-branch candlestick. That's your mm. uh, gospel in a nutshell in the holy place. However, if the altar of incense was not used on the Day of Atonement, if intercession did not take place on the Day of Atonement, we, and the Day of Atonement is a most holy place day, mm. then anybody who sins on the Day of Atonement is lost. And for all of us who live in the antitypical or the fulfilment of the symbol of the Day of Atonement, we're all lost because probation closed when judgment began in 1844. Mm. Okay, so let's go back to Leviticus chapter 16. Oh, classic chapter. Let's go. Leviticus, Leviticus chapter, 16. Uh, chapter 16. And what this demonstrates is that Paul had an understanding, a depth of knowledge of the sacrificial service, service and a depth of knowledge in relationship to the judgment that we actually don't give him credit for. Uh, we're going to need a, a significant little bit of time right now just to cover this. Um, but what you're going to find here is Leviticus chapter 16, uh, let me see here. The Bible says in verse 3, Thus shall Aaron come under the holy place with a young bullock for an offering and a ram for a burnt offering. This is the Day of Atonement. I'm cutting a long story short right here, but this is a sin offering on the Day of Atonement. Mm. So what's happening on the Day of Atonement? Not just judgment, but also intercession. Mm. So intercession continues during the judgment. Mm. And so what Paul is demonstrating is he totally understands what the Day of Atonement is all about. He totally understands what the judgment is all about. And Paul recognises that the judgment takes place before Jesus returns, and because the judgment takes place before Jesus returns, then intercession must continue while the judgment is happening, mm. and you still need to have the altar of incense being used while judgment is taking place. Therefore, he places the altar of incense mm. in the most holy yeah. place to demonstrate exactly that thought right there. I told you Hebrews 8. Hebrews 9 would take you deep. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. It is It is not Encounter with God time. It is Monday. That's the problem. <laughs> uh, we are all suffering from Monday-itis here on The Breakfast Show, but that's okay. We're going to get the Word of God out anyway. It is Question of the Day time. Before we have Question of the Day, uh, we've got a... Just answers to, answers to, our, answers to our quiz questions. Yes, that's right. For 100 points, the answer was sinners slash us all for 200 points. Uh, it was Isaac for 300 points. It was chief. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. Uh, for 400 points, the answer was baldness. That's how Elisha was mocked by those young people. It didn't end up going well for them. And for 500 points, uh, the answer was uh, the king of Tyre. And I'm afraid, like, there was a number of attempts at that question. All of them were incorrect. And uh, so I'm afraid our 500-point question fell a little bit flat. Oh, no one got the 500-pointer. And then you just cut off my joke, Lyle. Come on. I said said the the question about the King of Tyre fell a little bit flat. It was going to be funny, and then you talked over me. But anyways, right now it is time for... Question of the Day. All right, Lyle, our question of the day today is, uh, are the books in the, uh, are the books of the annals of the kings available to read today? Yes. Uh, where? 
Oh, you want to know where? Yes. Well, that's not what the question says. Well. The question says, are they available to read? All right. Uh, I guess that's it then. Okay. So uh, <laughs> if you read that in – okay. So the, the books of the Annals of the Kings are found, you know, referenced a number of times throughout the Book of Kings. Mm. Uh, so for, an example would be, and, and this one's uh, from ESV, First Kings chapter 16 and verse 5. Now the rest of the acts of Baasha and what he did um, and his might – are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? Mm. And so you'll find these references throughout the book of Kings to the, the annals of the kings of Israel. Some translations use the word annals. Other translations use the word chronicles. Mm. So if you want to find the annals of the kings of Israel, well, it's rather simple. You go read the book of Chronicles. It's rather similar to the book of Kings. And so what's interesting when you look at uh, the kings or the, the, the book of Kings is that you've got First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. A lot of a lot of uh, carryover between the two, but sort of written from a different perspective, because you've also got First and Second Kings is preceded by First and Second Samuel. Now, of course, First and Second Samuel includes a lot more information than just the story of Samuel. In reality, it is the story of well, the coming of the kings of Israel, how they came to be, uh, where they originated from, their history. You know, you've got the history of Saul and why they came to have a king in the first place. Then you've got the history of David and the whole line of David, you know, how it all begins there. And so this is coming through in the books of First and Second Samuel. And so uh, in, in some Bibles that I have seen, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I have seen it listed as... Uh, first Kings, Second Kings, Third Kings, Fourth Kings, where the first, where First Samuel and Second Samuel are actually First and Second Kings. I've seen that uh, listed that way, and so then what you've got is in Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles, you've got the official uh, history of the of the kings that the kings have sort of you know kept their chronicles for themselves and so forth. And this was a very ancient practice; uh, not much has changed. Pretty much these days we like to record everything that our political leaders do. We hope that that lasts for a very, very long time and you can find that every other ancient culture out there pretty much tried to preserve the record of their kings. Uh, the Persians were classic. You know, the great thing about the Persians, for instance, was that they would, you know, record a lot of their history in stone, so you can still go and read it today. Didn't have to be passed down on uh, papyrus or vellum or paper or anything like that. Um, and you'll find, you know, even records of of, uh, of Persian kings, like for instance Esther ten and verse two, and all the acts of his power and might, and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him. Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Persia, Media and Persia? Uh, you got another one in the book of Esther where it says, when the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the chronicles in the presence of the king. And so sometimes, you know, there was a lot that was be going on in the empire. The king would need to go back and refer to these like, yeah, what actually did happen back there? You know, let's look at the minutes of that uh, particular event again. And so these were really important records that were kept. Um, of course, preserved for us in the Bible is a fairly abridged event uh, or abridged version, you might say, uh, that, you know, it just sort of hits the highlights, but it hits everything that we need it to hit. Uh, you've got other references, say, even in the book of Chronicles. Now, the rest of Abijah and his ways and his sayings are written in the story of the prophet Iddo. So, that, you know, the, the kings were not the only ones who kept these stories. Um, you've got the book of Nathan that we do not have today. 
um, etc. You know, there were other books that were written that uh, that we no longer have. But that's uh, really where you'll find, you know, the books, The Annals of the Kings is called First and Second Chronicles. You're listening to The Breakfast Show. We come to the end of our show. Um, Ernst, you, you got a text message from a listener. I did. A friend of mine, a good friend of mine um, from South Australia, he, uh, he wrote, uh, Good morning, Pastor. Just listening to you on Faith FM Breakfast Show. Mm. Fantastic yeah. stuff. Okay, so we're, we're good to have text messages from all over the place. <laughs> yeah. right? Usually they come through on the text line, which is 0491064669. But uh, there you go, Ernest. You get to get a text message this morning. from Good to hear from you, Courtney. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Okay, and as you go through this day, don't forget to spend some time with Jesus, just you and Jesus alone. Mm. I mean, stay tuned right now because Tazzy Encounters is coming on, but you still need to spend some time just with Jesus. And during that time, remember to talk faith, live faith, act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.